I don't know if this is normal, but, you know, no one else is talking about it. I wasn't having conversations with friends or anything. And I was sleeping on a towel because I'd bleed through onto my sheets. Um, My mum, she was the one that suggested the towel because she had to sleep on a towel when she was younger. And so I think it's passed down that this is just what it's like for us. It wasn't until I'd actually started to experience pain that it was really sort of looked into further. Like I would end up um, with pain the week before my period. I'd have most horrific back pain and I'd know my period was coming and I'd get really bad ovulation pain as well halfway through my cycles. And then the following week, I'd get the lovely back pain to tell me, hey, your period's on the way. And then I'd have my period and I'd have the bleeding on the towel and the pain. Welcome to the Wildflow podcast with me, Charlotte Pronto, certified cycle and feminine embodiment coach and shamanic womb guide. In this podcast, I'll share my wisdom and conversations with powerful change makers, thought leaders, and embodied teachers to invite you to live cyclically in flow with your menstrual cycle instead of fearing it, to heal menstrual shame and normalize womb wisdom and period positivity, and to step into your sovereign magnetic power to create and embody the change you desire to see in your world. Settle in to unleash your wild flow. Endometriosis is a really prevalent condition that affects a lot of people with wombs and uh, female physiology. And today's guest, Isabella, is a an educator, an advocate, and a mentor in the endometriosis support space based in Australia. I invited her on because March has been Endometriosis Awareness Month, and she told me during this podcast that actually April is um, Adenomyosis Awareness Month, which is a sister condition to endometriosis. So we have a really important conversation talking about what endometriosis and adenomyosis is, what some symptoms are, a typical experience of living with endometriosis, the journey to getting support and help, diagnosis, treatment, and even long-term support and management of this condition. And Isabella shares very much her story, which um, breaks my heart to hear, but I think it's fairly common experience her as a child, how she discovered she had endometriosis, the journey she went on, how she went about getting help, and also how she came to this space of working um, in advocacy and support for people living with or suspect that they are living with endometriosis. So this is a really important conversation to listen to. If you suspect that you have got something going on um, underlying with your periods, if you're they're particularly heavy or painful, um, but if you feel that you might have a chronic health condition, um, and even if you don't, please listen in um, so that you can support the people around you, so that you can be an ally and an advocate, and that together we can bring more awareness and understanding to adenomyosis and endometriosis. And we can lift the taboo that shrouds these conditions that are categorized currently as women's gynecological um, conditions, but on, on much more than that. So please listen in 
and I hope that this is informative, enlightening, um, and also really supportive to you if you are living with endometriosis or think that you might be. So I'd love to introduce my guest, Isabella. Isabella Gosling is the founder of Let's Talk, period, a podcast and community for people who want real talk, raw stories, and reputable information when it comes to all aspects of health and well-being. Each week on the podcast, she smashes stigmas and taboos around wellness, chronic illness, periods, reproductive and sexual health, and she speaks with thought leaders within the health space. Isabella holds both a Bachelor of Education and Bachelor of Nursing. After searching for answers for her pain for over six years, Isabella was diagnosed with endometriosis and adenomyosis in 2015 at 20 years old. Since then, she's advocated for better care, treatment and support for those affected by chronic conditions such as endo, adeno and polycystic ovary syndrome, PCOS. Isabella is passionate about educating and supporting the chronic illness community community to take action and make informed decisions when it comes to all aspects of their health. So they're not just surviving, but thriving. And in 2020, Isabella was announced as the Seven News Queensland Regional Young Achiever of the Year for her important work in this space, as well as being a semi-finalist for the 2021 Soroptimist International Women Empowering Others Award. So we've got a really great um, resource on our hands today with Isabella. Tune in and learn something new, and I hope that this supports you on your own journey. Isabella, welcome to Wildflow. How are you today? Oh, thank you for having me, Charlotte. I am very excited to be here um, and I'm feeling very relaxed and calm after the little, I guess, meditation we did before um, recording just now. So yeah, really, really good today. Ah, oh, thank you. Yeah, that was that was lovely. I always like to do that as much for me as for you. <laughs> uh, just to drop in. So yeah, I feel the same. I feel I feel nice and relaxed and my mind is a lot slower now. Mm. They can tell the difference when I don't do it. So it's really lovely to have you here. I'd love to just start as always with the cycle check-in and just ask you if you have a menstrual cycle, where in your cycle you are today and how that feels for you. And if you don't, um, just ask you if there's any cycles that you work with, like natural cycles, um, the moon, etc. Um, just curious to hear how you're feeling today in relation to that. And I'd love to share as well, just so we get that comparison of where we're at and how we each have our own unique cycles. Yeah, of course. So... I currently don't have a menstrual cycle. I have um, some hormonal therapies that are sort of suppressing that currently. Oops, sorry. That's that okay. are suppressing. <laughs> throw my phone at you. Um, that are suppressing that currently. Um, so I generally try to work within like the moon cycle, like that new moon and the full moon and um I'm a bit into crystals as well. So going and taking your crystals out into the full moon and then doing that lovely new moon energy and energizing them with a moon bath. Um, I haven't been able to really connect in this month. And so I'm not actually sure where we are in the moon cycle at the moment because I've been 
very busy and I think when I don't take that time to um, check in with myself, I I do notice it. So, Mm. yeah, I think it's an important thing that's brought my attention back to it today is to check in and see where we're at so I can do some um, intention setting around that as well. Um, So, yeah, I also like to work within that calendar space or weekly space as well. And I love just sort of setting up my week um, or my month. So I love love starting a new month um, and writing all the things that are happening in the calendar, um, checking what I've got coming up and then doing a little bit of a reflection on the month that's been and then setting some intentions for the month ahead. Mm, I love that. Thank you for sharing. I really hear you. Um, so not having a menstrual cycle, but really tuning in as well still to the cycles and, you know, what's happening around you and using that as a way to connect inwards. And I love what you said about, you know, having the week and then the month and the moon. And these are all ways of um, inviting you like to have that connection, but to, you know, like setting intentions and, and reflecting. I think that's really beautiful practice, but also hearing that, you know, you've had a busy month and, that you've not had so much of a chance and opportunity to connect inwards. And no, that's so normal. It's so funny, actually. I was just looking at my cycle charting journal um, that I have, and I have been really crap this cycle, <laughs> really bad. And I, uh, I started bleeding, and I haven't done anything, and now I just had to even check which cycle day I'm on, which I think is really, it's really funny, isn't it? Um, you know, cycle coaches don't have all their shit together, but, um, I'm on cycle day 13, apparently, um, (laughs) which for me feels like, oh gosh, I just haven't had, um, I bled for a really long time this time. I have really, um, I have irregular cycles, um, at the minute with breastfeeding. So, um, I haven't had that kind of you know, archetypal spring into summer kind of energy. Like I think, I think I'm, you know, quite a long way away from that. So just slowly building up. Um, and I've been solo parenting over the last few days as well, which has been quite tiring. So yeah, I feel quite, um, yeah, like really slow, slow start to, to the cycle. And to say that, I, you know, day 13, it might be sort of the middle of somebody else's cycle. For me, I feel like I'm just kind of just starting to warm up a little bit, as it were. But we just passed full moon on the day of recording where I think it was, um, um, was it Friday or Thursday? And it's now Tuesday. So we're a few days, a few days past. And um, so we're in the waning moon phase. And, you know, that's probably more reflective of how I feel a little bit at the minute, just with that, mm. that kind of slower energy. And we're just coming into autumn as well. And yesterday was equinox. So um, we are at that point in the wheel of the year in the Southern Hemisphere where we are, you know, the moon and the seasons are kind of lined up. We're past summer and we're just in that sort of um, waning phase, that cooling phase when things mm. are starting to slow down and I'm always curious about whether my you know kind of you know and I don't have a true cycle at the minute but you know whether summer my my inner summer is different in the season of summer and whether 
you know, I think it changes a little bit the more we get into autumn as well. So all beautiful cycles to work with. Yeah. Mm. And I love what you're saying about working with crystals and charging them. And I love to do all that stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, my friends say I'm a little bit witchy twitchy, um, which mm. is funny, but I think like, I think they're really beneficial. So um, and I love doing like card pulls and things like that. And I know that's a bit, you know, alternative for some people, but I find it really helpful for me. Totally normal in my book. Yeah. I yeah. Love to do that too. <laughs> yeah. When do you like to, to pick some cards? Um, so my best friend and I, we always do a yearly pull and we'll pull one card for each month of the year um, to just sort of see what the year will look like. And that's always something that we do right at the start of the year we lock in a hangout together and we'll pull cards and be like oh wow so this could be what's in store for the year ahead um and then I also like to do a monthly card pull as well just as like an intention to focus around for the month um and then sometimes just when I'm needing some extra guidance or advice I might pull a card as well just as like an extra little push in a certain direction and yeah so I think they can be really beneficial. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. I I haven't done the, the yearly one. I think that's a really nice idea. I didn't do that at the start of the year, but I like to pick one every, um, the start of every cycle. So when I'm bleeding after a couple of days, I will pick a card for my month. And then, yeah, I like to do new moon and full moon if I can as well um and like you say sometimes when I just need some extra guidance I'm feeling a bit kind of like uh, out like disconnected from my intuition Mm. or um just kind of not sure of what's going on or if I'm feeling a bit sticky like inside about something I like to pick a card and it you know it, it doesn't need to be um it's just interesting what it says and then that invitation to reflect and kind of you know, is it true? How do I feel about that? What What does that mean to me? Rather than taking it as gospel, I just yeah, it, it's always amazing how I always seem to pick the right card as well at the right time. It's like oh, you know, you make meaning of it though, don't you? Whatever it needs to you be, do, you do. But it, yeah, you always are like oh wow, this is really relevant. So yeah. yeah, I love the cycle idea as well. If I had a cycle, that's something that I would probably incorporate into that as well. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's a good one um beautiful thank you well we're here to talk about endometriosis so march has been endometriosis awareness month and by the time this it will come out it will be the end of march um but i really want to have this conversation and just raise awareness of um you know, more about endometriosis and adenomyosis as well so these are women's health conditions um to put it you know, a very umbrella term. And I want to kind of dive deep into it. I think it's something that not enough people know enough about, even people who um, are experiencing um, one of these these conditions as well. It, it's difficult to get information, to get an accurate you know, information of what's going on, to get treatment and support. And so you are somebody who I've really, like I found you on Instagram and I love everything that you share. Um, and I love the work that you're doing in the advocacy space as well. Um, 
And so I'm just really grateful for you to come and have a chat with us and just to share, you know, more information about it, but to kind of clarify maybe some myths, um, help people shortcut, you know, the, the, the route to finding out what they need to find out. And, um, you know, to, to be able to share, you know, you as a place where people can come and connect with you as well. So that's kind of what, what what this is about and, and why I've um why I've invited you into this conversation. So could you begin, please, Isabella, just by sharing with us, you know, basically what endometriosis is and also adenomyosis, you know, what what it is, what it looks like if somebody might suffer. And just to clarify, you know, some common perceptions, truths, myth busting. I'll just give you free reign to kind of share share what you, you'd like on that. Is that okay? Oh, that's more than okay. I love it. Um, and I think doing this so it does come out at the end of March is a really good time because as Endometriosis Awareness Month draws to a close, April sees the start of Adenomyosis Awareness Month. So it's a very good time to release this episode. Um, so, yeah, very well chosen. Um, I didn't know that. I didn't know it was Adenomyosis Month <laughs> yeah. in, in April. Yeah. That's great. I'm really glad that yeah. it has time and space. It's all well. worked out the way mm. it should have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, endometriosis affects one in 10 people assigned female at birth. So, that's women, that's people who identify as. Um, non-binary that's people who might have transitioned to being male but were assigned female at birth so it affects a whole lot of people um and that statistic it often fluctuates because of the delay to diagnosis it could be a lot more prevalent however there's such a delay and there's an invasive surgery involved with diagnosis so there's a lot of factors that are sort of impeding the actual prevalence of the condition. So mm. we work off one in 10 people um, assigned female at birth. So endo is where tissue that is similar to the lining of the uterus, so that lining is called the endometrium. So that tissue is similar and it implants in other places throughout the body. So endometriosis lesions, they are found generally within that pelvic cavity. However, they have been found on all organs in the body. So they've been found on the diaphragm, bladder, bowel, lungs. It's even been found in the brain and the spleen as of last year. So it's not just that reproductive condition that people often associate it with. And I guess the reasoning behind why it is so associated with being a gynecological or reproductive condition is due to the symptoms that are involved. And one of the really key symptoms of endometriosis can be having an incredibly heavy and painful period. So that's sort of where that um, narrative of being a period-related condition or um, gynecological condition comes from. However, it is a whole body disease. Um, so yeah, some of the symptoms of endo can be that painful period, heavy period. It's impacting your daily activities. So if you're not able to go to school, if you're not able to go to work, if you're not able to go to TAFE or uni, um, or you're thinking about not wanting to go due to your period, but you still persevere and go through with it, that's not normal. So 
if you're experiencing that, I really would implore you to go and get that checked out because it's it's not fair to have to put up with that. It's not just something to get on with. Um, if you're not able to exercise as regularly or, you know, engage in any movement that you do as well, that's not normal. Um, so that's two main symptoms. Another one is it can be um, pain with intercourse as well. Um, you can also have pain with bowel movements, so a lot of gastrointestinal cyst symptoms. So IBS symptoms can play a part there as well. So you might have bloating or discomfort. You could have constipation or diarrhea. You can have pain when you're actually moving your bowels. Um, you could also have pain when you're urinating. So not very nice symptoms. Mm. Um, and then another one also can be fatigue as well. So you can just feel incredibly lethargic and tired. Um, it's also important to note that not everyone with endo has all of these symptoms and not everyone has exactly the same symptoms either. And that is why it can make it a little bit more tricky to diagnose because you might not present with like textbook endo symptoms. And just because you don't have, you know, you might not have that really painful period doesn't mean you might not have endometriosis. So that can be a barrier to diagnosis in itself. Mm. Um, and then also the amount of endometriosis you have isn't associated with the amount of pain that you might have. So it's really tricky and um, you might have a lot of endo and no symptoms at all and it might not be until you're attempting to conceive that you actually find out you have endo because you might have trouble conceiving and they might do an exploratory laparoscopy and excise endo or you could have a lot of pain and a lot of symptoms and you might not actually have that much disease tissue. Um, so it's really not, it doesn't correlate. So that can be quite frustrating as well. Um, so I think that's a really important connection to make because it's something that people can hear and they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm not that bad. It's probably not this, but, you know, I think explaining away and you know justifying away our symptoms is something that we so often do but actually going well, no that's not right for me that's not normal I really should look into this further so that's endometriosis mm. um adenomyosis <laughs> is often referred to as the like cousin or sister of endometriosis so adenomyosis is involving that endometrium so it's the lining of the uterus so it actually invades into the stroma or the muscle wall so the myometrium of the uterus so that can cause a lot of the same symptoms as endo however with adenomyosis you can also have um, really bad referred leg pain and that can be just due to the um, nerves in that pelvic area it can also cause really bad lower back pain as well for the same reason people with adeno as well often report like heavy heavy periods so needing to sleep on a towel um, bleeding through period products and having to change more regularly than the recommended um, timeframes for those. And you can also have really bad fatigue with that as well. And that can be associated with iron deficiency from that extreme blood loss. 
um, and also feeling nauseous as well. So I think it can be tricky because there is a lot of overlap from those two symptoms, um, those two symptoms, those two conditions. So it's hard to know which you might have. However, people with endometriosis often also have adenomyosis as well. So they kind of can be um, hand in hand together, like a comorbidity with each other. So that's a little bit about both of those. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm really grateful for all of the information that was so clear and and in depth and thank you. And I'm just, I'm like blown away that so many people live with this and soldier on and have to put up with, um, you know, such awful pain and an unseen disease as well, like hidden disease, you know, and I hear a lot about, (coughs) excuse me, you said about it being um, hard, you know, really hard to get a diagnosis, taking a lot of time to get a diagnosis. And, you know, I just, I've, I've heard stories of people going to get help and then not being seen and heard and understood and people not having medical professionals, not having the, the training or the understanding or the skills perhaps to to help give people the help that they need and so it just prolongs that suffering it, it's really it's really sad mm. yeah like in Australia there's a seven to 12 year delay to diagnosis so that's from when you first start experiencing symptoms to when you receive that diagnosis and it is due to a lack of awareness so it was typically endo and adeno weren't talked about because they're period conditions in quotation marks and Mm. we don't talk about periods, they're taboo. So I think that lack of awareness and that taboo nature of the conditions really um, upholds a barrier um, to diagnosis as well as lack of education. So that's education at school growing up about these conditions but also education when you do go to that GP um, to get help and they don't even know what you're talking about Um, so I think that's both both ways and yeah I think then also dismissing or not um, thinking that there's anything wrong because it's that education again you're pushing it away and you're going, well, no, that's not what I was told at school. And I think that narrative of period pain being normal and, you know, just get on with it, it's just what women have to deal with, has done a lot of damage because people don't think there's something wrong when there actually is. Mm. Oh, it's so, it's awful. It really makes me um, sad and mad that um, mm. that we don't have, that GPs obviously aren't being haven't been to date been trained on it as like it's another health condition like you're talking about like a chronic or whole body condition that is am I right in thinking you know an inflammatory condition as well yeah so it's something that you know like just like other people you know, experience you know other long-term chronic and inflammatory diseases like it should be is it not categorized in that way then? It's categorized as like a woman's reproductive or menstrual health. 
Yeah, so yeah, yeah, currently it's categorized as like a reproductive or gynecological issue or a women's health issue, and that's damaging for those people within the LGBTQIA community who mm. don't identify with being a woman. So that has like another set of barriers for accessing care and diagnosis as well. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of work to be done in that space. Yeah, a lot of work, which, you know, it's a good uh, good chance for me to ask you, you know, tell me about you and your story and the work that you do. Like, how did you come to do the work you do? And, and tell us a bit about the work you do as well. Yeah, so I guess, like, I'll, you know, rewind back to when I first started experiencing symptoms and, like, I had no idea that this was not normal. So, um, I got my period when I was 12 and everything was, you know, fine. I thought it was all good. And it was when I was about 14 that I really started to notice, like, I don't know if this is normal, but, you know, no one else is talking about it. I wasn't having conversations with friends or anything. And I was sleeping on a towel because I'd bleed through onto my sheets at nighttime or I'd go to a sleepover party and I'd wake up with period blood on my pajamas and be mortified and you know freaking out and being so thankful that I didn't bleed onto my friend's sheets um those sorts of experiences and um my mum she was the one that suggested the towel because she had to sleep on a towel when she was younger and so I think it's passed down that this is just what it's like for us. Um, And I think those experiences within your family can say a lot as well. And it wasn't until I'd actually started to experience pain um, that it was really sort of looked into further. Like I would end up um, with pain the week before my period. I'd have most horrific back pain and I'd know my period was coming. and I'd get really bad ovulation pain as well halfway through my cycle. So um, my cycle was always very regular. So it'd always be right in the middle of that two weeks, I'd get that ovulation pain for eight to 12 hours and it would just be excruciating. Mm. And I'd be so glad that it would pass. And then the following week, I'd get the lovely back pain to tell me, hey, your period's on the way. And then I'd have my period and I'd have the bleeding on the towel and the pain that came with that. So yeah, it was, it was a lot. And it was about when I was uh, 15, that mum was like, look, I really don't think this is normal. Um, I hope you don't have endometriosis. And I hadn't even heard of that before. Mum had only heard of the word because she was a registered nurse and she used to do the gynae clinic at the hospital, but she was never diagnosed with endo herself. Um, She said she went to a gynae at 21 because she had some period problems and he gave her the pill and she was right and she'd been fine ever since. So she never actually knew what was the issue for her. Um, so, yeah, so that sort of then started on that journey of trying to figure out what was wrong. So went to the GP and um, got popped on the pill because that's that's what you do. That's what you do. That, yeah, that'll help and, you know, at 15, 16, um, that was great because um, it was sold to me as you don't need to have a period at all. So um, you just keep taking the active pills and you'll be you'll be fine. And so that was fantastic for me. 
um so, I thought so not taking the sugar pills like just keep going no, yeah you just yeah, keep okay. taking those active pills um so no sugar pills and you won't need to have a period but it could be good to have a period every three or four months so take those sugar pills then but yeah other than that you can get away with not having a period. And, you know, that was perfect because every time I'd have a period, it was horrific. (laughs) And that worked for a bit um, until it didn't. And I started to experience breakthrough bleeding. And so I'd be bleeding, you know, random times throughout the month. And yeah, so that wasn't actually a good solution. So about two years after that, went back to the GP and I'd switched pills a few times to try and like, fix this breakthrough bleeding issue and the pain was getting worse I was having to skip work starting uni and skipping lectures because I was in so much pain and I went and saw my first gynecologist I got referred and um, saw her and she said yeah I think you might have endo I don't operate though so I'm going to refer you on to another surgeon who does so Um, Went and saw the next surgeon and he um, was like, yeah, you could have endo. Um, Let's do a laparoscopy and we'll have a look. And so I had my first laparoscopy when I was 19 and um, went in for that one. And I woke up and he came out and was like, yeah, no, we didn't find any endo. what you do have though is pelvic inflammatory disease and that's an STD. Has your partner been cheating on you? Um, have you been with many partners? And that was just mortifying. I had my mum beside me. I was 19 years old. Um, I was in my first like long-term relationship. It was just all of these walls crashing down. Um, and he said pelvic inflammatory disease can cause infertility. So you really need to have a baby now. Um, so that was. What? You know, yeah. At 19? At 19. So, yeah, that was a bit stressful to say the least. So I went back and saw him for my follow-up appointment because he'd given me antibiotics to help with the pelvic inflammatory disease. Um Went back and saw him (laughs) and he said, yeah, look, so I'm going to dismiss you from my care, like discharge you from my care now because these antibiotics should have helped. Um, I'll only need to see you again if you need IVF to have a baby. So see you later. Um, I sat in the car park and sobbed because it was about a month post-op and I felt no different. I still had the same symptoms and bleeding and it was just horrific. So Went back to the GP yet again and I went and saw another gynecologist and they prescribed me another pill and they said, look, we'll try this pill for three months and then come back and see me. And the appointment was about 10 minutes in total. And then I went back and had another car park sob and I thought, I can't live like this. Like I was stuck in bed all the time. I was in pain. I was nauseous. I couldn't get through a full day of uni I was just not living at all I was in bed all the time and it was not very nice and I thought I can't go through this for another three months so I'm like I'm certain that it is endo now I've been doing a lot of doctor googling I joined a few Facebook groups and I'm like all of these symptoms are the same as what these people have like surely it's that and so I mustered up the courage and posted in one of the groups and was like, hey, is there an endo specialist that I can see in Brisbane? Like, I really feel like I have this, but I've been told no. So I got the name of an endo specialist, went back to the GP and 
went and saw my fourth specialist and they I took along the surgery photos from my first lap and they were like, yeah, like I can actually see endo in these photos. So that's really disappointing that that was missed. Um, uh, I think we should do a laparoscopy just to confirm because, you know, if if this is endo in this photo and I'm 90% sure it is, like it needs to be removed. So um, I saw them on the Monday, went for surgery the same week and, um, yeah, endometriosis was confirmed and I was also diagnosed with adenomyosis. So that's my very long story of diagnosis. <laughs> so, so how yeah. many years was that from start to so, that point? Yeah, from 14 to 21. So maths oh is gosh. not my strong suit, but about six or seven, seven years. years, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Yeah, I yeah. want to go back and give myself a hug. Yeah, um, I want to give you I a went hug. Through, little you. I went through a yeah. lot. Yeah, that's yeah. intense. Yeah, you know, and that's hard for an adult, but let alone a child to be um, ignored, messed around, like passed on from person to person, shamed in that way as well you know the way you said mm. about you're told to have a baby at 19 like if you're you know some people want to have a baby at 19 but for a lot of people that's like you know highly irresponsible yeah well, I was just a baby that exactly yeah. <laughs> you know um I just think that's that's incredible that you had to go on that whole you know and what was with that that doctor that surgeon mm. uh if they don't know what they're doing <laughs> they shouldn't be doing it yeah yeah that's crazy um Mm. yeah happy to report I didn't actually have pelvic inflammatory disease at all so you know that was a big scare for no reason but you know I guess that just forms part of my journey and um I guess that leads into nicely about why I wanted to do what I do now and that was because like I felt so alone throughout that whole process of trying to figure out what was wrong with me Um, And then when I found out what was wrong with me, I still didn't really feel that supported or knew where to go for reputable information. Like there were Facebook groups, but I didn't know if what people's experiences were were relevant or, you know, where they'd get their information from and Google, there's info all over the place. So I thought like I don't want anybody else to feel the way that I felt Um, because no one I knew had endo, no one had heard of it, no one even knew what adenomyosis was. So, yeah, that sort of really sparked that interest. Um, And, yeah, it was from there that I really got involved in that endo and adeno advocacy space and um, did some work with um, an organisation for a few years. And then, yeah, last year I left that organisation, but I'd started Let's Talk Period in 2019 in November um, as a place for real, raw and reputable information, stories and um, just place to smash taboos and break stigmas and provide support for people who are living with endo, adeno or PCOS. Mm. That's incredible work. And 
you've actually won a couple of awards as well I want to just mention congratulations so thank you were the uh, Queensland Regional Young Achiever of the Year and a semi-finalist for um, an International Women Empowering Others Award in the last yeah. couple of years for your your work I think it's I think it's brilliant so yeah well done and you know from that point you know, from, from, and from your experience, you know, if somebody's listening and they're like, oh, that's kind of ringing a bell or either, you know, and at start of this kind of journey of, okay, like this is not normal and I'm hearing you and I'm relating, or even if somebody's, you know, a bit further on and has been going around in circles and just feels like, like, how do I actually get help? Like, what would your advice be? You know, mm. talked about GPs and, you know, finding, trying to find a specialist who knows what they're doing. What's your advice to help for somebody to to get some help? Yeah, I think tracking your symptoms is like really important because then you can go into that appointment with your GP with like some hard evidence and be like, look, I've been tracking this. Here's the data. It doesn't really lie. Um, this is what I'm experiencing regularly. So Frendo is a really good app for that. And they actually have a really in-depth like screening tool as well. It doesn't diagnose you with endo or anything, but you um, answer questions about what you're experiencing and um, you can print out that report as well and take that along with you as well for some like additional evidence. And you can track in that app as well and it's free. So it's a great resource. Um, and it was developed by someone who has endo as well. So mm. that's always a bonus. Mm. Um, yeah, so tracking what's going on for you. And even if you don't want to use an app, um, writing it down in like your notes part of your phone or onto, you know, a journal about what's going on for you and bringing that along because I know when I go to appointments even now still, my my, my brain just blocks out and I just blank and I'm like, I actually don't have anything here that I want to talk about when I know that I do. So mm. gathering that data, um, bringing somebody with you to the appointments, um, it was actually like me bringing my mum along to that fourth gynae appointment and um, I think that was really helpful because she was able to, you know, share what was happening for me daily as mum being there on the sidelines saying yeah, yeah and like back sort of like corroborating my story I guess um because I think that's something a lot of people come up against like it's a he said she said sort of situation so having someone Shocking. there to like verify what you're saying which is horrible but can be really helpful but also they can ask questions as well that you might forget or bring things up that you might not remember or even after the appointment debrief and be like oh my gosh I forgot what the doctor said and they're listening because they're not in that flight or fight response mode they're a lot more calmer and centered so yeah bringing someone along with you um I'd also try and find a good GP who does listen and take your concerns seriously um, and then being referred to someone who is an endo specialist because 
Um, there are so many gynecologists out there and they all have their different interests into what they delve into. So some might be really interested in high-risk obstetrics, which was one of the gynecologists I got referred to without knowing. Um, Another one was really interested in IVF and fertility treatments. So it's really important that they actually are really well-versed in managing and treating and diagnosing endo. Mm. And you can sort of get a feel for what they're about by looking on their website what their spiel is Um, but yeah I want to also just make note to make sure that when you are in that appointment and you're discussing surgery to mention um, excision surgery are they going to use excision surgery or are they going to do ablation so excision surgery is where you're actually cutting out the endometriosis and that tissue can be sent to um, histology for testing whereas ablation is actually just burning that surface layer of endo and it can lead to um, adhesions, repeat surgery more frequently and organ damage as well. So, yeah, it's... Gosh. Yeah, it's a lot. I can't believe that's something that's... Yeah, that doesn't sound like something that you would want to choose or or have done. Mm. No. A lot of surgeons who don't know how to treat endo correctly do ablation because they just burn off that top layer. So it's a really, really important distinction. And if they say, oh, no, we use ablation, then, you know, that might not be the doctor for you. And unfortunately, back to the drawing board and finding someone who knows what they're looking for. And I think that contributes to that delay in diagnosis as well, like we were talking about before. Can you um, find your own specialist and go to the doctor and say, can you refer me to this person? Yeah, yeah, that's what I ended up doing because three other times I'd been sent to three random people at the doctor's peril who ever they thought to send me to Mm. and that's why I made that post in the Facebook group and was like who do I go and see and I brought my mum to that GP appointment as well just for some backup Mm. um, because you know who wants to listen to a 20 year old and you know Mm. Um, so I brought her along and I was like I want a referral to this doctor pretty sure my mum even said that not I because I was like too scared but um, she was like you know I want a referral to this doctor for my daughter like you know we've been through the runaround we've seen three different people like enough's enough this is who we want to see and any good GP should refer you to who you'd like to be referred to Mm. um similar scenario if the GP doesn't want to do it go and find a new GP like Mm. it's no harm getting a second third fourth opinion I'm living proof of that because if I stuck with what that second gynecologist told me I'd still probably be wandering you know around aimlessly with all of those horrific symptoms and so you don't have the symptoms anymore. Are you kind of um, yeah, on so, the side of it now? Uh, managing so much better. Like, yeah, um, I'm no longer in bed all the time. I've been able to get my symptoms under control with a really good treatment and management plan. I think it's important to note that there's no cure for endometriosis. I think that's one of the biggest myths. Um Uh, there's no cure for it a lot of the time hysterectomy and having children gets thrown around as cures but there's no evidence to support that there's no cure Um, so yeah it's just really about management and treatment options so um, multidisciplinary treatment's been really helpful so seeing a pelvic physio having my um, gynecologist who knows what they're doing 
And um, I've seen an exercise physiologist as well, um, acupuncture, um, nutrition and dietetics, but all of that like holistic care. So you have that whole picture so you're in the best health possible. And I think it's important as well to note that I'm not seeing all of these people all at once because that would be very expensive, but sort of picking and choosing who you need in what moment to manage what you're going through. Mm. Yeah, I'm really, I'm amazed. You know, I can see why it takes so long to get to where, you know, the point you, you got to with, you know, resolution. But then, you know, that's just a diagnosis. Then there's like long-term living with something that mm. is still there and can come back, right? And yeah, so it's management. And you know, this, this, you know, in Australia, we're talking, you know, in the local context as well, where, you know, we have Medicare, but to see specialists, there's a fee and, you know, I'm not even sure if you get a referral, whether you get some of that money back. Um, some of it can be covered on private health if you have private health but if you don't it's all out of pocket and Mm. if you go down the public route there's a 12-month waiting list sometimes before you can get in to see the specialist and then there might be a 12-month waiting list for um, surgery so it's yeah even though there's free health care that option's also very lengthy as well Mm. Mm. it's shocking so you know, to try and get to the point where you just can get out of bed every day. It takes years, patience, you know, doing a lot of your own digging in, you know, into research and learning and trying to find the right people to get help from. And then money as well to like proactively manage your, your condition, you know, long-term. I just, yeah. I just can't believe that we're at this point. So is this something that's just really under-researched and like you said, because it's considered menstrual or reproductive, you know, women's women's health um, doesn't get the dollars that, you know, health, um, men's health does. Is it something that's just, you know, under-researched and obviously under-trained at medical school? And, you know, what are some things that we can do, I guess, you know, like taking it into our own hands like you have? to try and, you know, you've obviously created your beautiful Instagram page as well and your own community. But, you know, is this, is this a bit like, you know, working against menstrual shame? Like the more we talk about it, the more, you know, we can have, you know, safe spaces for women to come and talk to and find mm-hmm. out. Like, there's, you know, it seems like this has got to be something that's taken into our own hands to do something about. Yeah, you really do need to be an advocate for yourself. And I was speaking with someone yesterday and they said you need to be the CEO in your own healthcare. And I think that's very true. You really need to be the one pushing and fighting, which is really unfair. And, you know, when you're already in a lot of pain and you've got a lot of symptoms, that's really draining. Um, So, yeah, that sort of comes from that pushback yourself. But, again, creating that awareness has been absolutely phenomenal. Like when I was diagnosed in 2015, nobody had heard of endo and no one had heard of adeno. And I guess now it's come so far that there is a lot more conversation around both. Um, Adenomyosis still doesn't get as much recognition because it's still very, um, if endo doesn't have a lot of research, adeno has even less. So I think opening that discussion and talking about both really does help to 
create awareness. And I think when people realize what both conditions are, they're absolutely gobsmacked and shocked about how painful and debilitating they can be. And then it begs the question of, well, why aren't we doing more? Um, Thankfully, in Australia, the government has um, committed funding for research. So I think there was $10 million announced last year to go towards various um, institutions for researching things to do with endo, which is really great. But, yeah, I think there is that lack of research because it wasn't taken seriously for a long time and it's only just sort of starting to get some funding behind it now. And so we're playing catch-up. There's a lot of work to do. We still don't know what actually causes endo. We don't have a cure we're still trying to figure out the best treatment options and there's so many different things that we don't know. So I think really trying to figure out those answers is great and the same with adenomyosis as well. So, yeah, opening that conversation and talking with others is really just what can sort of help to create more awareness which would hopefully lead to more, you know, public people in the community knowing about it and pushing for action and change which can hopefully lead to more research yeah and I you know I get the really strong sense you know that it's a a big part of this is you talked about being in the in the doctor's room and your nervous system being in fight and flight and having that blank when you're in that state as well forgetting what you're trying to say and you're know, really needing allies around you, you know, like your mum in the waiting room, like other people in these groups to to support you to feel safe and seen and heard and not gaslit and just, you know, mm. ignored. Like I just think if you know, even if this is something that you don't know, it doesn't affect you. To just have you know, like list, I hope I hope people are listening to this, you know, even if you're if this doesn't affect you and just to be able to stand in support of, of other people around you who, who might. And, you know, we all need to know about this. This is not just a, oh, it doesn't concern me kind of thing. Like we mm. all need to stand in solidarity with each other as well. Mm. Mm. So where can people find you? What's your Instagram and yeah. your podcast as well? Yes, I haven't even really mentioned the podcast. There's, yeah. You can find me in a few places. So Let's Talk Period is um, an Instagram account, but it's also a podcast. We're in season four now and so new episodes come out every Monday and Wednesday. So wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us there. I say us, but it's just me. You can find the <laughs> podcast there. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Monday's episodes are solo app with me and I just chat about something related to chronic illness, endo, adeno, PCOS related. Um, and then Wednesday's episode is an interview with someone in the pelvic health or chronic illness space. So that could be a personal story. It could be an expert or um, someone with something to share around that um, sort of realm. So that's that. Um, so yeah, just search Let's Talk Period wherever you get your podcasts. And then Instagram is Let's Talk Period AU for Australia. Um, and that's just a mix of fun reels, um, in educational content as well, funny memes to sort of lighten the mood and also inspiration as well. Um, and then there's the website as well, which is lextalkperiod.com.au. And that's got free resources on there. It has all of the events that happen on there. Um, there's lots of online events as well as in-person ones as well. Um, 
And there's also information on mentoring as well. So I offer that because mm-hmm. um, if I had a mentor to help navigate through that space when I was going through it, that would have just been an absolute game changer. So mm. there's information about working together and um, sort of so you're not just making it through each day and surviving but actually thriving with your chronic condition so you're actually able to have a really good quality of life. So that's all of the places that you can find me. Amazing. You're doing such important work. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Um, and just before we wrap, is there anything else that you just want to share that you feel sh- to share that you want people to hear? I think just listening to yourself, listening to your body. If you get like that gut feeling or you have that intuition, like, you know your body best and even if people aren't listening to you or they're turning you away, like don't give up, please just keep going. Um, My DMs are always open, like send me a message. I'm more than happy to be your chronic illness BFF and be there cheering you on because, you know, you can't go through this alone. You really do need that community. So listen to yourself and keep on going. Mm, Beautiful. Yeah, I, I really, I really feel that the support needs to be everything. We can't shoulder this alone. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today and everything that you've shared. You know your story, your knowledge, the incredible advocacy work and support that you're offering to people. I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's really warming to see. You know these these spaces where people can go to, but you know the progress that is being made. You know, hearing you say. Only seven years ago, there was no awareness at all. Um, you know, and now we're, you know, I didn't know what adenomyosis was last year. <clears throat> mm. It was only when somebody who I've been working with um, had a diagnosis of that. And I was like, well, what is this? You know, I, I didn't really know anything about it. So, you know, I think there's um, there's a lot that we can do together and just to be supportive as well of the people around us. We just need to... Um, yeah, to all learn and to all do what we can and have these conversations, bring things out of shame and taboo, like you say, into the mm. open open air. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Charlotte. I've absolutely loved chatting with you today. Mm. Me too. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening in. If you're loving this podcast and you'd love to help me spread the wisdom shared, please leave a review or rating or share this with somebody who you think would love to listen in. I'm really passionate about creating ripples of change and getting this information to more women, girls and people with a cycle so that they can reclaim their cyclic natures too. And if you'd love to dive in deeper with learning more about how to connect with your cycle and rites of passages, come and join our free Wildflow Circle community or choose a course and learn with me on my online learning hub. All the links are in the show notes. And until next time, be well and go with the flow of your cyclic nature.